to the Worcester Talking newspaper, read on 1st of December by kind permission of the editor of the Worcester News. Um, your team uh, this week are Duncan, Moira, Hugh, Paddy, Janet and Mark. Um, the lighting up times this week are 3.59pm to 7.56am. Um, and as usual, we've got the birthdays, deaths, um, thought for the day and all your up-to-date news for this last week. Um, the thought for the day is Isaiah 7, verses, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Uh, birthdays. Right. Birthdays this week will be... Mary Smith, whose birthday is on the 1st of December, which is today, and tomorrow, 2nd of December, Joyce Wood. Um, so we all wish you a very happy birthday from all of us here. Um, deaths now, I think. Um, seems logical to follow an order like that, as usual. Uh, David William Oliver of Worcester. Um, he was 74 and he passed away on the 23rd of November. And his funeral service at, is at Worcester Crematorium on December the 13th at 10.45. Pat Spears, knee not, passed away uh, age 65 on the 18th of November. Her funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on December the 8th at 12.15. Uh, Nancy Clark in brackets Florence of um, of Clains and she was a flower lady uh, passed away peacefully at aged 103 um, bless her funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on the 8th of December at 11.30 Phil Digger of Dines Green was 90 when he passed away on the 19th of November oh sorry no that's a she sorry that's a lady um so, and her funeral service is at uh, St Michael's Church on December the 8th at 1.30, followed by, followed by interment at St John's Cemetery. Dennis Alfred Newman, he passed away aged 85 on the 27th of November. His funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on the 7th of December at 10.45. John Coldrick, ex-Deputy County Council Surveyor, um, he was 94 when he passed away on the 15th of November and his funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium December the 6th at 11.30. Joyce Dyson of Worcester, former Kays employee, uh, passed away on the 10th of November. Her funeral service is on the 5th of December at 2.30. Bill Forrester. He was uh, pass he passed away on the fifteenth of November, aged ninety one. His funeral service is at Worcester, Crem Worcester Crematorium on December the seventh at one. John Nichols passed away, um, aged eighty nine, on the seventeenth of November. His funeral service Worcester Crematorium on the December the sixth at two thirty. Edna Margaret Powell, Nee Tyler, uh, passed away on the twelfth of November. Her cremation will be held at Astwood Crematorium on December the 5th at 3.15pm. That's the same as Worcester Crematorium, isn't it? Or Astwood Cemetery? Yes, Astwood? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and Marjorie um, Crawford, 
Nee Price, and she was, I think it seems like she was also named, known as Marge. She'd have been the Simpsons. She passed away on the 10th of November. Her funeral service is St Stephen's Church on December the 5th at 12.30. Um, oh, no, sorry, I've got a couple more. Bernard Morris Brannan, formerly of Devon Road, passed away on the 22nd of November. His funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium, 5th of December at 10.45. And finally, Janet Watkins, Nee Jones, um, passed away on the 13th of November, age 65, and her f ser funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, December the 6th at 12.15. So, uh, we'll start off with some of the headlines, uh, or most of them anyway, um, and Paddy will start us off with the first one. Um, mine's a surprise. People have been fined £75 for dropping fag ends. <laughs> A sudden litter blitz in Worcester has seen more than 80 people slept with an on-the-spot £75 fine by a council official. Under the crackdown since mid-October, an anonymous council worker has been stopping members of the public in the city centre before hitting them in the pocket. Worcester City Council says the vast majority of punishments were for cigarette butts dishing out £6,225 worth of fines for litter to 83 people in just five weeks. Incredibly, despite powerful government legislation being in place for years, councils have largely been reluctant to make use of it. Nobody in Worcester received on-the-spot penalties for littering in the entire 2015-16 financial year, but bosses have become increasingly fed up with the mess. On Friday, October the 14th, enforcement action started, with one female employee pounding the streets. The down has been praised by shoppers, and the results lauded as remarkable by council chiefs. It's also been greeted with delight by a former mayor of Worcester, who's hit out at the little outs for years. The council worker handing out the fines has stuck to the task, despite having to call police twice after culprits refused to accept their fine. Mm -hmm. Councillor Jebereas, cabinet member for Cream, whoops, Clean Green and Ledger Services, <coughs> was absolutely delighted. These laws have been in place a number of years, so it was high time we start enforcing them. The council worker doing this deserves a lot of credit. The civil enforcement officer, who did not want to be named, told the Worcester News a lot of people are shocked and surprised. <coughs> One person who was handed a fine contacted this newspaper yesterday, uh, and that was last Friday, after being caught dropping a cigarette butt on Wednesday. Only going by the name of Yvette, she said, yes, I did it. It wasn't just me in our group, yet I'm the only one she got on camera. I now carry my personal ashtray around with me. Councillor Robert Roger Knight, a former mayor, said the move has restored pride in Worcester. 
Cigarette butts are one of our city's biggest problems. The chemicals in them decay and contain a vast number of nasties, he said. The council spends more than £1.2 million a year keeping the streets clean, and this could make a substantial difference and save a fortune. The results are astonishing. The staff deserve a lot of praise. The fines are levied under the Environmental Protection Act 1990, and those who do not pay face prosecution. Although the number of smokers is falling, cigarette litter remains a problem, according to Public Health England. Cigarette litter is present on 73% of England's streets. It poses a safety risk, is an environmental hazard, and cleaning it up costs local councils. But research suggests that many smokers don't even consider cigarette butts to be litter. (coughs) The headline from uh, Monday, November the 28th, reads Nativity Pay, about a school charging parents to watch uh, the nativity uh, show. A school has defended its decision to charge parents to see its nativity play. St. Joseph's Catholic Primary School has asked parents to pay £1 a ticket for its three plays, including one performed by the whole of Key Stage 1, one by reception pupils and one by children in its nursery. Following criticism from some parents, head teacher Louise Berry said other primary schools in Worcester also made similar charges and pointed out the money raised would be pumped back into the school for the benefit of children and their parents. She said, From my understanding, it's not something that's uncommon, but it's the first time we've done it. We're becoming a bigger school and there are cost implications on that. She said the school in Chedworth Drive, Warnden, was selling 180 tickets for three Key Stage 1 performances, with pupils restricted to four tickets each. Parents with reception year and preschool children were also being asked to pay for year group nativity plays. (coughs) Mrs Berry said... The money raised is being put back into the school to buy story sacks to help us work primarily with our English as an additional language parents. We want to set up a group of parents to help the children with their reading. It was seen as a wonderful opportunity for us to raise some money. We are a very poorly funded authority. She added, everything we do is for our children, We are wanting to invest in reading. We've taken the decision to do it and we hope parents will see the benefit in what we purchase and we will share that with them. Some parents questioned on the move included one who contacted the Worcester News to say they felt it was wrong for the school to charge parents to watch their own children, especially in a Christmas play. The anonymous parent also complained about the timing of performances, saying parents were given one opportunity to purchase tickets for the only evening performance before many parents were informed that tickets were sold out. Therefore, tickets could only be purchased for Tuesday at 2pm 
or Wednesday morning, obviously excluding any working parents from watching their child, resulting in many disappointed and upset Key Stage 1 pupils. Parents are also expected to provide costumes for their child to wear for the play, despite possibly not being able to watch them. Mrs Berry said numbers for each performance had to be restricted because the school, which has 318 pupils, was growing and the hall could not accommodate all parents at the same time. She said we don't have the capacity and we're trying to make it a pleasant experience for them so they have a seat and they are safe. There are regulations as to how many we can fit into the hall. She said selling the tickets on a first-come, first-served basis was the only way it could be done. However, she added, we are in a school that prides itself on listening to our parents. I know some parents have asked questions and have not been generally happy, but the majority of them do understand. I want to thank them for working with us. We will review this if going forward they aren't happy. The story sacks the school aims to buy would include a book and items related to the story, with the idea that parents could be inspired to create even more of the sacks. The school moved from a one-form to a two-form entry three years ago. So if they have to pay for the tickets, <coughs> do you think they can video them? Mm -hmm. That's an idea. <coughs> Anyhow, um, OK, my headline is Axe Raiders Wound Victim. A man was wounded after he was attacked by two armed robbers in Balaclavas. The raiders are thought, thought to have smashed their way into a house in Homestead Avenue, Warnton Village's Worcester, with an axe at about 11pm on Friday night. Police are investigating and have released a picture of an axe recovered from the scene of the distressing raid. Once inside, the raiders were disturbed by a man and woman living at the house. The man, in his 30s, was assaulted by the offenders, who were dressed all in black, before they left through the front door and fled the area. The man suffered injuries to his hands and shoulder and was taken to hospital for treatment for suspected stab wounds that are not described as life-threatening at this time. Detectives from West Mercia Police say they are treating it as an isolated incident and that it is fortunate the occupants of the house were not more seriously injured. DC Vanessa Collins said, I would like to firstly reassure the local community that incidents of this nature are rare. We will be conducting reassurance patrols in the area and are currently treating this as an isolated incident. This has obviously caused a great deal of distress to the occupants of the house, who thankfully were not injured more seriously. An axe was recovered from the scene, and detectives are currently following a number of lines of inquiry. We would like to speak to anyone who saw suspicious activity in the area at the time, and particularly anybody who may have seen a white car driving in the Snows Hill Close area without lights on. The car is described as being a similar size and shape to a Volkswagen Golf and we would also like to hear from anyone who may have CCTV footage of the incident. Anyone with information that could help the investigation should call police on 101 quoting incident number 839S of November the 25th. I have a strange picture of a speed camera. It's a Google camera 
and it snapped itself speedily, according to this headline. Oops, a Google Street View car driver appears to have caught itself on camera speeding through a Worcestershire village. The car appears to have been going over 30 miles an hour on Worcester Road, Kemsley, near Worcester, triggering the vehicle activating sign, alerting drivers that they're speeding. The sign flashes on when it clocks someone driving through the village at 35 miles per hour or over. Google, which sends its cars out all over the country, capturing photographs for its street view service, was approached for a comment, but did not respond before the newspaper went to press. The picture, which was taken in July this year, can be seen online by anyone on street view, and Councillor David Harrison, the village's district councillor, says he's amazed Google used this picture. He said the driver must be going over 30 miles an hour to have illuminated the sign. What amazes me is, if they realised, why didn't they go back and take another? They were going over 35 miles in a 30 mile per hour zone and they've taken their own photograph to prove it. They've managed to incriminate themselves. Complaints about speeding drivers travelling through Kemsey from residents of the parish council prompted County Councillor Roger Sutton to use his <coughs> sorry, divisional fund to purchase the sign. Councillor Sutton said, I'm disappointed people exceed the speed limit, but it does happen. I hope the vehicle activated signs are making a contribution and showing people, whoops, slowing people as they come into Kemsey. The village is getting busier and there are lots of people walking around and pushing pushchairs. So hopefully people are getting the idea not to speed. The vehicle activated signs seem to be having the desired effect, as I understand from the parish council. Safer Roads Partnership do occasionally have their speed enforcement vans at the side of the road it's up to them to decide if a penalty is given to whoever it was driving. PCSO Martin Butcher of the Kemsey and Alfric Safer Neighbourhoods team said the speed indicator sign was, I believe, acquired by the Parish Council after complaints that some vehicles were exceeding the 30 mile an hour speed limit through the village. West Mercia Safer Roads Partnership were also consulted and Safer Road staff undertake enforcement patrols in the village. West Mercia Police welcomes any initiative that helps to reduce speeding. Speeding contributes to the risk of accidents and increases the likelihood of serious injury or death. Google Street View was launched in 2007 and shows panoramas of area from the road through a series of stitched pictures <coughs> taken by the company's cars. There have been a number of funny and mysterious scenarios caught by the cameras, including a girl in the middle road, St John's Worcester, pictured lying face down on the street in 2010. People worried 
A crime had taken place, but it turned out the schoolgirl, Azura BB Gem, was playing a joke on a friend, unaware that the Google Street View car had snapped her. God's <coughs> Two men who carried out a revenge attack in Worcester, armed with a samurai sword and an iron bar, have been sent to jail. Stuart Halliday and Sam Gledall went looking for Hubert Locke after his friend accused them of a robbery, Worcester Crown Court was told. They pulled up at an address in Shakespeare Road, Dines Green, where they knew he would be on the evening of January the 18th this year. Kevin Grego, prosecuting, told the court. They were all known to each other, Mr. Grego said, and Mr. Locke went outside when he saw them pull up in a car. He said he saw Halliday was carrying a samurai sword, as he do, and Gledhall had an iron bar, Mr. Grego said. There was a scuffle and he was attacked and injured before they got back into the car and drove away. Mr. Locke was treated in hospital and needed surgery to insert metal plates and metal mesh into his face where he had two fractures. Speaking to the Worcester News about the incident at the time, Mr. Locke said his face was caved in, leaving him in excruciating pain and needing four and a half hours of reconstructive surgery. Halliday, aged 34, of Drake Avenue Dines Green, and 30-year-old Gledall of Bransford Road, St. John's Worcester, both pleaded guilty to causing grievous bodily harm. Listen to this. Halliday is currently serving a nine-year jail sentence for a robbery carried out in March while he was on bail, the court was told. It gets better. Niall Skinner for Gledhall said he had a record of 31 convictions but had turned his life around since becoming a father six years ago and had largely kept out of trouble since then. Doesn't sound like it to me. He was moving in the right direction until he got involved in this offence, Mr Skinner said. He is thoroughly ashamed of his behaviour. Jason Aris for Halliday said the father of three had been taking courses while in prison where he was already serving a long sentence. What courses, I wonder, martial arts maybe? Judge Nicholas Cartwright said the two men had armed themselves with weapons and had gone looking for Mr Locke. This was a deliberate seeking out for reasons of revenge and retaliation, he said. Mr. Locke was struck on the back of the leg and suffered serious facial injuries, which required surgery to repair the damage. Gledhall was jailed for three years and Halliday had two years added to the end of his existing sentence. How could they be out That's it. Okay, would you like me to start stories Can you now? Start the stories now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> a significant deal has been agreed over the future of Perdiswell Park, with the Worcester City Football Stadium saga rumbling on. 
All 35 city councillors will need to have a vote on the land's future before it can be sold, rented or transferred to the football club for a new ground. The agreement has been secured by Councillor Gareth Jones, a former Mayor of Worcester, who is against the site being developed for a stadium and wants it to remain untouched. While it does not place the project in immediate peril, it means the club does now have another hurdle to jump over if it finally secures planning permission for the sale. Worcester City Council owns the land, with the club's supporters' trust drawing up the application for a 4,100 capacity stadium in a bid to bring back the blue and whites. Uh, to bring the blue and whites back home. Until now, a deal overhandling. Oh, sorry, this is there. Until now, a deal overhanding the club the land was expected to be made by either the Labour cabinet or under the delegated authority of an officer behind closed doors. Councillor Jones said the Labour group have been having private meetings with Worcester City Football Club, but the council as a whole is the landowner of Perdiswell. I don't want any decision over this land to be done by the cabinet or it to be delegated to anyone else. We should all have a say. It's important for local democracy that we all get a vote, not just a select few. A motion insisting on a vote at full council before the land status can be changed was approved on a cross-party basis last week. It comes as council chiefs have revealed how no decision will now be made on the planning application until 2017. The club was hoping the planning committee may take a vote on it in December, but due to various bits of paperwork still needing to be tied up and a consultation, the first three months of next year is now the best estimate. A spokesman for the council said it will not be going to the planning committee in December. Meanwhile, the club's supporters trust, though they are not concerned about Councillor Jones' move, Rob Crean from the Trust said, To be honest, this is what I was expecting anyway. I see it as a good thing that everyone will get their say. The club has been exiled since 2013, playing their fixtures at Kidderminster and now Bromsgrove. A father who suffered a cardiac arrest while out running says, A guardian angel saved his life. Fitness enthusiast Dave Aidy was running on a path opposite the Barn Owl pub in Barclay Way, Warndon Villages, Worcester, when he collapsed after suffering a suspected cardiac <coughs> arrest. But fortunately for him, a good Samaritan was nearby, who performed CPR until paramedics arrived, giving him the best possible chance of survival. The paramedic used a defibrillator to revive him following the incident, which took place between noon and 1pm on Saturday, November the 19th. Now Mr Aidy, a 45-year-old father of two of Bamborough Crescent, Warndon Villages, wants to express his gratitude to the stranger who saved his life and would like to ch the chance to thank them face to face. Mr Aidy has heard through a mutual friend that his saviour was an off-duty nurse who may work at Worcestershire Royal Hospital's A&E, but he does not know for certain. However, his discharge papers confirm that someone stopped to help performing a CPR for around 10 minutes until an ambulance crew arrived. He was taken to intensive care at Worcester Royal Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester, where he spent three days. From there, he was transferred to a cardiac ward at the same <coughs> hospital before being discharged on Wednesday, November the 23rd. 
Mr. Aidy, a procurement director, says superficial injuries suggest he fell onto his hands and knees and struck his chin, but he has no recollection of events and is still trying to piece together what happened. The first thing he remembers is waking up in the cardiac ward in Worcester. Mr. Aidy has been told that the cardiac arrest was caused by a blocked coronary artery. He said, I want to say an incredible heartfelt emotional thank you very much to the person who saved my life. I owe my life to the person who stopped. I'm very, very grateful. If they wanted to meet me, I would personally say thank you to them. To the paramedics, I would say the same. The NHS was excellent. I have absolutely no complaints and nothing but good things to say. I have two sons, Jake, aged 18, and Kian, aged 15. That person has enabled me to continue to be a dad, which is incredibly humbling. Mr. A.D. often runs on the paths around Warndon villages, many of which can be screened from the view, from view by trees. He says it is lucky he collapsed within sight of someone who had the power to help him, and that to some extent his fate was in the lap of the gods. There is no known history of any heart problems in Mr. Aidy's family and is heavily into fitness. He runs a junior football team, the Worcester Hawks, and has played himself for Redditch, Evesham United and Solihull Borough, now the Solihull Moors, also attending the gym and playing squash and tennis. His ex-wife, Michelle Aidy, a student nurse, has returned from training in Tanzania to support the family, and Mr. Aidy says his parents and girlfriend... Chrissy Corns have been very supportive. Mrs. Aidy said she believes people should try and run in pairs or carry identification with them. She said, We're not aware of the time frame. We don't know how long he had been on the floor for. That is quite critical. I was shocked. Dave is super fit. He's the last person you would ever think something like this would happen to. We know absolutely there was a guardian angel. We just don't know who it was. <coughs> this is the headline, Takeaway Attack CCTV Pics Revealed. CCTV images of two women police want to speak to following a vicious assault at a fast food restaurant in Worcester have been released. <coughs> the incident took place at Sharkies in Angel Street. Shakies. Shakies? Shakies. Just shows I don't go there. <coughs> Between 3.30am and 4.30am on Sunday, October the 30th, and left one young woman with a broken nose and another with bite marks. The victims were in a toilet cubicle when two women burst in and began attacking them. They hit the two women and bit one of them twice before leaving in an unknown direction. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said officers would like to speak to the women pictured as they may be able to assist with inquiries. And that's all. Four former Worcester councillors have be become honorary aldermen in recognition of their 103 years combined service. Clifford Lord, Derek Proger, Jeff Carpenter and Robert Roden were endowed with the official titles in a bash last week, with the tributes paid to their time in public office. The quartet were presented with honorary badges and certificates in a special ceremony hosted by Worcester City Council at the Guildhall. 
The names of all four have now been painstakingly inscribed onto a special roll call of honorary public servants on the building's ground floor. A council spokesman said the names of the four former councillors have been added to the roll of honorary aldermen displayed in the guild hall. They will be able to attend civic ceremonial events, host <coughs> civic receptions and support the work of the Mayor's charities. Councillor Proger, a veteran Conservative politician, retired, I think that's a euphemism, <laughs> from the City Council last year after a remarkable 34-year service at the Guild Hall. The current Fire Authority Chairman, 79, will leave public life altogether in May at Worcestershire County Council after being deselected. Elsewhere, Labour's Mr Lord was first elected to the City Council in 1950 for the St Martin Ward until 1955. He returned in 1984 and was elected to the Holy Trinity Ward for 12 years until 1996, spending time as a city mayor and the chairman of two key panels. Mr Carpenter, who hails from South Wales but has lived in Worcester most of his life, was first elected in 1973 for Labour and served 27 years in the St Martin Ward. A former mayor himself, he also held various positions overseeing planning and the arts during his time. Mr Rowden stood down last year after 25 years service in Batten Hall and after becoming the council's first Tory leader for two decades in 2000. He became mayor in 2002. He also chaired the planning committee for 10 years which still stands as a record. A decision to hand them the awards was made on a cross-party basis in October, with backing from the Labour Party, Conservatives and Greens. Okay, multi-platinum recording artist Brian Adams is to play the first major rock gig to be staged at the home of the Worcester Warriors Rugby Club. The gig at Six Ways Stadium on Friday, July the 14th is one of just a handful of outdoor shows the Canadian musician will perform in the UK next year as part of his Get Up tour. Brian Adams said, I'm delighted to be continuing my tour and heading to Worcester next summer. It will give me an opportunity to perform tracks from my latest album, Get Up, as well as some of my earlier classics. It's going to be a special show and I hope my fans are able to join me. Adams is best known for hit singles such as Heaven, Summer of 69, Run To You and Everything I Do, I Do For You. The outdoor show at Six Ways is being organised by concert promoter LCC Live, whose director said, We're absolutely thrilled to be bringing Brian Adams to Worcester for one of just a handful of outdoor shows that he will perform in the UK in 2017. Brian is a legendary musician, having sold millions of albums worldwide. He is absolutely superb live and continues to be one of the world's most loved pop stars. We expect tickets to sell fast. Ryan Bezoidenhout, the general manager of Six Ways Stadium, said, We are delighted to be able to attract someone of Brian Adams' stature, as he is an internationally acclaimed star who is known for his ability to entertain. The artificial grass pitch we installed in the summer 
means we are now able to host live concerts at Six Ways, and these events will be a key part of our business strategy going forward. Six Ways is easy for people to get to, has on-site car parking, and has top-class stadium facilities, so we know how much potential there is for us to grow the event side of our business. There is clearly an appetite across the West Midlands to watch top-end music stars, and we believe Six Ways will become a major destination for those stars over the coming years. <coughs> Everything I Do, I Do For You topped the UK singles charts for 16 weeks in 1991 and featured in the film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Last October, Adams released his 13th studio album, Get Up. Tickets will go on sale at 9 o'clock tomorrow, and are available from ticketline.co.uk or 0844-888-9991. Worcester Cathedral is to get £40,000 to help fund repairs from a fund set up to mark the 100th anniversary of the First World War. The grant is part of a programme of donations totalling over £5 million to 24 Church of England and Catholic cathedrals across the country. The grant to Worcester will be used to pay for damp investigation and repairs to the Cathedral St George's Chapel, where the city remembers local people who died in war. The chapel also contains a memorial to First World War hero Reverend Geoffrey Studdart Kennedy, known as Woodbine Willie. Oh, I didn't know that. Over the last two years, Worcester Cathedral has received a total of £877,000 from the grant scheme enabling restoration work to the medieval library ceiling, the east window and the great west window, which is currently undergoing conservation work. Dr John Ing, or Inge, which I'm never quite sure how you pronounce that. Ing. Oh, one says Ing, one says Inge. Uh, Bishop of Worcester said, Cathedrals are not only the level, sorry, are not only the jewel in the crown of our built heritage they are at the heart of our nation's common life through commemoration remembering celebration and grief people can find space and solace in them both in large acts of worship and solitary contemplation these welcome grants ensure that they continue to enrich our society in the future now this is a stark contrast a row has kicked off about taxpayers' money being used to spread EU propaganda in the Worcester pub. The Worcester News can exclusively reveal how cash from the coffers of EU bureaucrats is funding a series of debates about Europe across the Midlands. The £6,000 <coughs> kitty from the European Commission has been handed to the West Midlands Liberal Democrats to organise each one. One of the events took place in Worcester's Cap and Gown pub last Thursday night. A part of a host of debates in locations including Hartlebury, Hereford and Birmingham. This newspaper has learned how the Lib Dems applied for the money before June's historic referendum. Only if concerned officials in Brussels to delay a decision amid concerns around how it might be perceived. Commission bosses sat on it for four months before agreeing to the handout, which has been used for room rents and lavish buffets at the venues. 
James Carver, a Worcester-based UKIP MEP, said it's a ridiculous waste of taxpayers' money. They lost the referendum and should get over it. Is this really what public money is for? It's outrageous, a classic example of the way they operate. Thursday night's cap and gown event, including a spread of sandwiches and fierce debate from both sides of the fence. Martin Turner the chairman of West Midlands Liberal Democrats, said this is European Commission cash the Lib Dem has applied for to run non-partisan events. The whole debate can be reviewed on the internet. The Brexit camp actually got more airtime than the others. If anyone had any doubts about the fairness of it, they should have come along. Everyone knows the pub has a great reputation for knockabout debate. The pub in our tithing has gained a national reputation for political hustings. Landlord Ted Marshall said, I don't see the problem with it myself. Do they sell drink as well? Mm. <laughs> with the dust yet to settle on the recent and highly contentious American presidential elections, the latest edition of Worcester revealed the free quarterly supplement included in tomorrow's Barrows Worcester Journal, this is from Wednesday, uh, strikes an appropriately stars and stripes note. It includes a host of articles documenting Worcester's connection with the former British colony across the Atlantic, right from the so-called Boston Tea Party incident of 1773, which eventually led to the American Revolution, to a celebrity cricket, uh, celebrity cricket match in Los Angeles in 1981, which was played as part of Worcestershire County Cricket Club legend Norman Gifford's benefit year. The man behind the Worcester Revealed project is local lawyer and historian David Hallmark, who has written an article showing how the Worcestershire connection goes right to the heart of the American dream. He covers the story of Worcester-born lawyer and politician John Summers, who was educated at the King's School and whose ideas and influences feature strongly in America's 1789 Bill of Rights, which was based on a similar document drafted by Summers 100 years earlier. The supplement covers a vast spread of topics from the slave trade of 1651 up to a visit by Worcestershire business leaders to Maryland in 2016, organised by Worcestershire Local Enterprise Partnership. Mr Hallmark said, Compiling Worcester Revealed has emphasised to me how many people there are who want the history and heritage of Worcester to be an active feature of the city and its community. Abusing old people, we've got to uh, A major £75 million project to sell off and merge public sector buildings across Worcestershire could be expanded. It has emerged. 
The boss of Worcestershire's Place Partnership says he wants more bodies to join the likes of councils, police and the fire service in agreeing to share buildings and flog unwanted sites. Andrew Pollard has also revealed his personal scepticism to commissioning, which is handing services to outside providers, saying it, it is not working in delivering services to taxpayers. In a bid to avoid making even harsher cuts, the likes of Worcestershire County Council, Worcester City Council and Mercia Police teamed up last year to launch the venture. The aim is to save £75 million by 2025, with around 200 County Hall workers transferred into a new company to work for it. Mr Pollard, the Place Partnership's Managing Director, wants to see more organisations join it. He also says deals over merging public sector sites could prevent the likes of individual councils having to make cuts or turn to handing services to outside providers. Redditch Borough Council is involved, as is Warwickshire Police, but neither district councils in Malvern or Witchhaven have signed up, or the NHS. He said, I'd like to think we can build on the number of shareholders we have. In other words, they might join us. I also think it could go beyond Worcestershire. There may even be franchises. Who knows? There has been a huge amount of interest in what we are doing. We are beginning to get a reputation as a commercial enterprise. This is different from an outsourcing model because it keeps all the benefits in the public purse. Under the arrangement, each authority has its own shareholders who sit on a management committee and can veto any sale. Place partnership bosses have also said no crown jewels will be sold, such as Worcester's Guildhall or County Hall, neutralising potential political resistance. The launch of the partnership attracted criticism last year when it emerged a £750 a day consultant had been hired to oversee its launch. A contract was signed with the County Council for two days' work a week with the consultant on £6,000 a month. Now there's a call for an inquiry into the tent death. Calls are being made for an official investigation into the tragic death of a homeless man found dead in his tent by the riverside in Worcester. Worcestershire's Safeguarding Adults Board could be about to launch a full-scale review into the death of Carden Banfield, who was found on the riverbank near to Worcestershire County Cricket Club on July the 5th this year. The 74-year-old was found by a steward from the cricket club and his body had been decomposed so badly that he could only be identified by his DNA. The Worcester News can reveal how his death has been referred to the Safeguarding Board by Worcestershire County Council, which is exploring the circumstances around the discovery. The board, an independent organisation, is due to make a decision imminently over whether to commission a full safeguarding adults review. The intervention comes after a plea from homeless campaigner Hugo Sugg, who has urged the county's authority not to let Mr Banfield's death be in vain. I contacted the county council and said I'm concerned this isn't being looked into. Lessons haven't been learned and nobody has been held to account, he said. For me, a formal and legal review into Carden's death will allow lessons to be learned. 
but more importantly, for elderly gentlemen dying, rotting and smelling in a tent on the roadbank, stop his death being in vain. Mr. Banfield had pitched a tent up alongside the riverside near Seven Bridge Compile some time before his death. His body was only found when a hotel customer alerted a cricket club steward to the awful smell. Mr. Suggers repeatedly raised concern about homelessness services in Worcester being light touch, and in particular the city council's role. Cathy McAteer from Worcestershire's Safeguarding Adults Board said, I can confirm the board has received a safeguarding adult review referral from Worcestershire County Council. A leading <coughs> Worcestershire politician fears abused elderly people are going under the radar, saying reported figures are the tip of the iceberg. Councillor Tom Wells, chairman of a key committee which probes adult social care, has told the Worcester News he is worried too many pensioners are scared to speak out. As we revealed last week, safeguarding chiefs have received concerns about 2,653 adults in the last financial year, including suspected cases of physical harm, financial abuse and neglect. Councillor Wells, <coughs> a Lib Dem, chairs Worcestershire County Council's Adult Care Overview and Scrutiny Panel. He said, what they seem to have, have identified is the tip of the iceberg. A lot of this abuse takes place in the household with family members, the perpetrators, and the victims find it impossible to speak up. It's a very challenging issue for the council to deal with and my concern is that we're looking at the thin end of the wedge. I don't think there's any evidence to suggest abuse against the elderly is any worse or better than it was for previous generations. It's just that the reporting methods for it have got better. But it is a matter of real seriousness. In a civilised society like Worcestershire, I find it difficult to accept. Meanwhile, bosses at Worcestershire's Safeguarding Adults Board have moved to reassure the public that rigorous processes are in place to protect people. Cathy McAteer, the body's independent chair, said... I would encourage anyone who has any concerns about a neighbour, friend or colleague to speak up. Each concern is treated accordingly. Our role is to ensure the processes in place are robust and that we do everything we possibly can to ensure every vulnerable adult is protected. I have continued to be impressed with the commitment and hard work of all the partner agencies. I have no doubt the board will continue to build on its current strengths to meet the challenges ahead. Bosses at County Hall say not all the 2,653 reports of concern were straightforward abuse. It includes false alarms and many more minor concerns like the number of social worker visits people were getting. Okay, this is a, a story about Drive to Stamp Out Domestic Violence. Campaigners have launched a 16-day programme of action cracking down on domestic and gender-based violence. 
The 16 Days of Action campaign, spearheaded in Worcester by the Worcestershire Forum Against Domestic Abuse and Sexual Violence, was kick-started on Friday at the University of Worcester to coincide with White Ribbon Day, a national project tackling violence against women. At the event, new research conducted by the university was released, which revealed healthcare workers are twice as likely to experience domestic violence as the national average of women. Kirsty McGregor, researcher at the university's National Centre for the Study and Prevention of Violence and Abuse, said, The data from our research is very concerning, and there are important questions to be asked about why healthcare professionals appear to be more vulnerable to domestic violence, and what the implications are for the NHS and its managers to be more vigilant and responsive to this concern in the workplace. There will now be 16 days of campaigning around the city, with events including Walk a Mile in Her Shoes taking place. The walk, which starts at the Hive in Worcester on Friday, December the 9th, sees men don a pair of heels and walk through the city centre while raising awareness of domestic violence. This year, leading figures from across the county have recorded short videos about why they are supporting the White Ribbon campaign. The videos will be posted on Twitter during the project with the hashtag leaders say no. Anyone can contribute their own video pledging support against domestic violence using the hashtag. And residents are being urged to sign a pledge to say no to domestic abuse and sexual violence. Pledges can be made online at whiteribboncampaign.co.uk forward slash Worcestershire. A Worcester councillor has told of his experience nearly drowning as a boy with children now being offered free swimming lessons so they avoid the same fate. As a youngster, <coughs> Councillor Jabariaz could not swim, which almost sparked a tragedy when he leapt off the old diving board at Worcester Sansom Walk Pool, aged around 10. He ended up near the bottom of the pool, helplessly stuck, fearing for his life in the ensuing panic before a lifeguard leapt in and dragged him to safety. Now he wants other families to be aware of the perils of water, offering other children a deal which could change lives. <coughs> At Worcester's new 10.5 million pool, which will open its doors in January, all primary school pupils who cannot swim 25 <coughs> metres are being offered free swimming lessons. The inducement is aimed at making sure no young children go through what he suffered. Councillor Riaz a Labour Cabinet member responsible for overseeing the pool project, said, My experience as a young child not being able to swim is not something anyone else should go through. Foolishly, as I dare, as a dare, I went off the diving board at Sansom Walk and ended up near the bottom. I was stuck before the lifeguard helped me. It was 100% scary. Those kind of experiences are not the best in life. They really shake you up. As a result, other swimmers have always been at the forefront of my mind. Councillor Riaz did eventually learn to swim when he was aged around 12 and says he wants today's young people to get competent earlier. Nobody should reach the age of year six and not be able to swim, he added. The new eight-lane pool at Purdyswell Leisure Centre will open its doors on January the 7th. Families will be told to contact Freedom Leisure staff once the facility opens, to take advantage. And uh, here's Paddy with the starting us off with some of the uh, letters to the editor. Nice. 
And the first one is most unchristmassy, Centre Sect for His Belief, by Will Richards, who was the... Sir, according to a report in the Telegraph from November the 22nd, a man who was dressed as Father Christmas for the Christmas market at a town in Germany for the last 30 years has just been sacked. His crime? He posted a message on Facebook in support of a video which showed a group handing out posters with child marriage equals child abuse written on them. So, the question is not only how a man can be sacked from doing a job he was evidently so good at for his private beliefs, but if one is sacked or described as far right for protecting young children from the evil of child marriage, which is called paedophilia in the West, in case anyone had conveniently forgotten, does that mean that in the name of Islam, all of our laws designed to protect children will be abolished. Is this the liberal way forward for our decent, long-established, non-Islamic civilizations? When will this constant pandering to an ideology that teaches its followers to overthrow democracy, equality, free speech, free choice, gay rights, stop and its liberal perpetrators start defending the rights and laws of the non-Muslim majority. I believe and hope that the majority of Muslims in Britain or anywhere else in Europe do not buy into Islam's expectations to convert the civilised world, but that still leaves millions who do, and native or spineless liberal politicians apparently willing to facilitate them. This is a letter from <coughs> Terry James of Drake's Broughton. Sir, are they mad? Readers of the Worcester News will have read of the bed cuts proposed in the county by the Sustainability and Transformation Plan. Weasel words to describe further government attempts to avoid putting more much-needed money into the NHS. The UK has 2.7 beds per 100,000 people. The EU average is 5.3 beds per 100,000, rising to 8.2 beds in Germany. Only Ireland and Sweden have fewer beds than the UK, and they want to cut further. Already our hospitals are running at an unsafe capacity. Many of these scarce beds are blocked due to government cuts to the local authority social care commitments, Millions are being spent <coughs> on agency nurses due to misguided cuts to nurse training. It's no wonder that the NHS is becoming chaotic, with demoralised staff still doing a wonderful job. It's about time we took the NHS out of the hands of politicians, highly intelligent but lacking in common sense and we should form an organisation to run the NHS on a budget that matches the population's needs rather than what the politicians think they can get away with. Remember the Tory election pledge? The NHS is safe in our hands. Do you still believe it? I don't. This is from John Matthews of Worcester. 
Sir, I would just like to say how deeply sorry I feel for all the people of Worcester who have to deal with the daily gridlock in our once great city. I am so very fortunate to work flexible hours so I can time my journeys to work and back so that I can miss the inevitable gridlock every day. Unfortunately, yesterday I had some business to attend to in Ombersley Road on my way home, which I tried to leave at 4.15. I eventually arrived in St John's one hour later. This wasn't even rush hour. My question is, when are our councillors and MPs going to do something about it? The autumn statement said there is now a lot more money available for road infrastructure, so why the hell aren't they fighting to get our ring road finished and third Worcester Bridge built. We have unused bus lanes all over the city and unnecessary traffic lights everywhere. We have two zebra crossings which should be pelican crossings which just add to the mayhem. All we need is a bit of common sense from County Hall. My heart really goes out to the people of Worcester who have to tolerate the daily struggle of just getting to work and back due to the incompetence of others. This is a piece from Fiona Shaw, Rod of Worcester, <clears throat> and it's entitled EU Food is Not Exactly Lavish. Sir, I read with great amusement your piece on the EU meeting held at the Cap and Gown recently. The people attending were supposedly fed on a lavish spread, but far from being the venison, lobster and champagne that I assumed that meant, it turned out to be sandwiches and fruit juice. Children have this in their lunchboxes every day, as far as I remember. You were quoting from the words of Jim Carver, whose skewed UKIP view on it all cannot be taken seriously, since his own party had been told it will have to pay back £147,000 to the EU because they misused it in the run-up to the election. That, on his basis, was using taxpayers' money. Remember, breakfast means breakfast. Jim, and they will probably do you a good one on the cap and gown. <laughs> I'd like to hear from <coughs> Will Richards of Malvern. The BBC are running all kinds of programmes in their black and British season. This would not be a problem if we also had a white and British season and perhaps Asian and British or Indian and British season, but we don't. I would like to know why. Have white people done nothing to deserve recognition based on their skin colour? Personally, I don't believe the colour of their skin is relevant in terms of achievement or talent, but in using skin colour in the title of the series of programmes, they discriminate and further discriminate by disallowing a white and British season of programmes, celebrating the achievements of white British people. In exactly the same way, they are celebrating the achievements of black British people. Is this merely more BBC white liberal hypocrisy <coughs> or racially based bias against the ethnic groups not considered worthy of such discrimination. The colour of anyone's skin should be an irrelevance. However, if the BBC, the police service, lawyers, teachers or any other institution discriminate on the basis of skin colour by, for example, supporting a black police officers association, 
then it is surely essential, but not to, not to mention fair, that such discrimination is also given to white people, Asian people, etc. <clears throat> Yet what would we call a white police officers association? Racist? Or is the game of our apparently racist institutions one of marginalising white people? Isn't discrimination based on nothing more than skin colour racist? I would very much like to see an end to this so-called political correctness that allows us to talk about black associations and support them, but not about white ones. A sprinkling of hypocrisy, anyone? Okay, this is from George Cowley of Worcester. Sir, I have 18 scrapbooks containing copies of the Worcester News since 1959, before the editor of the Worcester News was born. Is that it? Right. Okay. Well, thanks, Mr. Cowley, for that interesting piece I, of information. I, I thought it was of um, public there you interest. Go. Hmm. Um, right. Uh, that's the uh, letters to the editor. Um, uh, next item is actually sort of uh, an advertisement, really. Um, but seeing as I help out there a couple of times this year, I think it's quite a good advert. Children's fantastic festive designs will be helping to spread some seasonal cheer as a hospice unveils its 2016 range of Christmas cards. The Acorns Children's Hospice range features 27 cards in a variety of seasonal designs, including three creations designed by children cared for by the hospice. And with this is that there's some photographs of... Um, Three of the young kids, Ellie Mae, Subban and Alex, uh, designing their Christmas cards. And they look, there's a couple photographed here, very, they, they look very nice. And yes, the Christmas pudding one is, is exceptionally nice and tasty. Um, all proceeds from sales of the cards will go towards the charity and its work caring for children and young people and providing support for their families. Val Hammond, Acorn's regional manager, said, We're delighted to re reveal this year's selection of Christmas cards. There's a fantastic range of designs to choose from, and whatever your taste, there will be the right card for you. The cards designed by children were created as part of an arts and crafts session at Acorn's. The sessions are part of their therapeutic and fun opportunities provided by the charity to allow children to express themselves regardless of ability. She added, not only are these great seasonal cards to send to friends and family, but there's the extra element that you'll be helping support Acorn's vital work caring for children and their families. Mm. Um, I believe they're, they're sold at the Acorns charity shop, are they? So, yes. In Millcheapen Street. Yeah. I don't think they're sold anywhere else, but they might be. But if you need some Christmas cards, get down there. Well, yes, they have them in the one up at St Peter's next to Tesco's. Oh, right. Well, there you go. Right, now, <coughs> Fury at Schools Parkland Grab is my next feature. <coughs> Furious residents are up in arms at a school's plan to fence off a large section of a popular city park. Pitmaston Park in St John's is owned by Worcestershire County Council and is used every day by the community for dog walking, sports and other recreational activities. 
but Pitmaston Primary School in Malvern Road has recently applied to section off a large swale of the green space to create a sports pitch and a soft play area for its pupils. The application has triggered a wave of complaints from residents who have registered more than 30 objections. Eight people have written in support of the plans. Neil Ashby of The Avenue said, I'm strongly against it. It's an area well used by the community, not just dog walkers, football teams train there. People go with their families and have picnics. It is a lovely place and it seems to me that it's not right. Carolyn Pearson, who lives in Palmer's Green, set up a Facebook page called Safe Our Pitmaston Park. No one has any issues with the school using the park as it is a public amenity, but the objection is that they've applied for a large area to be fenced off, so only the school will have access, denying the rest of the community who use it on a very regular basis. The fears are also that this would be the thin edge of the wedge and this beautiful area will be lost forever. Furthermore, the fencing off will spoil a beautiful open space, which is an area of historic importance, and this should be given consideration, as should the fact that the surrounding wall and Pitmaston House are both Grade 2 listed. However, Pitmaston pupil Olivia Brown has written to Worcester City Council planners in support of the proposal saying her friend is often scared by dogs being walked in the park during PE lessons. She said, however many times teachers check the grounds, somebody still slips in them. Boop! And Joanna Hardy from Ashdown Close said, as a mother of two children at this school and a regular user of the park, I wholeheartedly support this development of a safe, secure area for sports activities. Pitmaster School, which is managed by the County Council, declined to comment. The application is open for public consultation until Tuesday, December 13th. Visit planning Worcestershire dot dot number dot dot UK and search using <coughs> reference number P16C0529. Let's see. Uh, I suppose the. <coughs> Big event of last week was the uh, Worcester Victorian uh, Street Fair market. Thousands flooded into Worcester City Centre over the weekend to enjoy seasonal fun at the Victorian Christmas Fair. The streets were heaving with shoppers, some of whom had come many miles to sample the various attractions and to do their Christmas shopping. Traders of all sorts filled the high street with stalls, while there was plenty of street entertainment, such as Gin Lane in the Shambles, a disreputable Victorian alleyway created specially by Worcester Artistic Company, Click Clack, Click Click Collective. Their performances also included a spooky Victorian voodoo procession on Saturday evening. Choirs from schools across the city performed and also providing entertainment were the Appleyard Dancers, the Worcester Ukulele Club, the Rock Choir 
and Worcester Concert Brass, among others. And to keep hunger pangs at bay, shoppers were able to enjoy seasonal taste treats such as warm roasted chestnuts, flavoured nuts, filled crepes and hot chocolate. The fun on Saturday included the chance to climb the Tower of Worcester Cathedral for a bird's eye view of the city's festivities. Event organiser Helen Mole said, It's been really busy with huge numbers of people. We've had over 200 coaches booked in, which is the highest number we've had for a good few years. The Victorian stilt walkers are always a favourite because they really interact with the cloud. Click Clack Collective, no, it says Click Clack this time, believe me, <laughs> are also really popular. I was watching their performance on Friday night and I could hear people saying they felt as though they were really in a traditional Victorian alley. Everywhere you go, you can hear music. I'm really pleased we've got so many musicians and all the stalls selling local produce are another favourite. I've been eating my way around the stalls. A mum got in her car and drove to McDonald's for a late night snack after an evening drinking in the pub, a court was told. Emma Young, 24 of Gilmore Crescent, Worcester, got a taxi home after a night out but then decided to get in her car and drive to McDonald's, Worcester Magistrates Court heard. She was caught by police at just before 1am on Saturday, October the 29th, and a breath test showed 99 of alcohol in 100 millilitres of breath, well over the legal limit of 35. Mark Turnbull, defending, said it was an unwise decision that Miss Turnbull greatly regrets. She thought she was a bit hungry. She doesn't even get into the house, he said. She took the keys in her bag and got into her car and decided to go to McDonald's. She got to McDonald's and gets out of the car and thinks, what am I doing? Young then tried to drive home in her VW Golf, but was stopped by police in Blackpool Road. Mr Turnbull said a combination of medication for postnatal depression mm. and alcohol had affected Young's thought process. He added that she drove a relatively short distance, has a clean driving licence and no previous record. On this particular evening, Miss Young had been with her sister having a catch-up, he said. She shared a bottle of wine in her sister's flat and had then gone to the local pub over the road. She became aware her mother and father were out that night at a nearby pub about 300 yards away. Her parents arranged a taxi home for her Mr Turnbull added. Young was banned from driving for two years and ordered to pay £220. Do you do get the raging munchies, don't you, when you've been you drinking? That's a, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, right, this story is, um, isn't actually about Worcester. It's about uh, something that happened in Kempsey, but there's such a, a, um, a lack of stories for Worcester in this week's uh, Worcester News. Yes, it's front page. Um, so, apologies for this, but here you go. Um, a gang smashed into a family-owned garage and stole a key box before making off with three cars worth over £32,000 in the early hours of the morning. Uh, this was on Tuesday. This is Tuesday's paper. Uh, Mark Mannion, one of the partners at Sunnyside Garage in Old Road South, Kempsey, 
near Worcester, says the business will be left significantly out of pocket after the well-executed heist, which took place in the early hours of yesterday. Uh, so that was Monday morning. Uh, the thieves took a Ford S Max on sale for £14,295, a BMW 320 diesel on sale for £11,495, and an Audi A4 on sale for £6,995. Mr Mannion said, My parents live opposite the garage, and at, what, at about 3am my mum saw the security lights had turned on. She noticed three of the cars had gone. Whether they had gone that minute, we don't know, but we think they were taken between 2 and 3 a.m. We don't think there's much chance of catching the thieves, but we want to make people aware to make them difficult to move on. They'll, they'll try and shift them quickly, so we'll probably sell at a low price just to get them gone. But as soon as they are taken for an MOT, the VIN numbers won't match as they will change the number plate. The new owners will have the car taken off them by the police, so they will lose money too. All the remaining cars on the garage forecourt will now have their locks changed and are being barricaded in so the gang cannot, cannot return to make off with any more. The police think they may have started them up a bit further down the road, then headed for the M5, but we don't know in which direction, said Mr Mannion. I doubt anyone saw anything, but you never know. Someone may have seen the cars driven on the M5 or saw them heading that way. We hope they did more than any. They hope that we hope they did more than anything. We've been going for ten years, and this is the first time anything like this has happened. I couldn't really believe it. Living where we do, you don't really expect it. It's obviously been well planned and well executed. They knew what they were doing. The insurance company will be visiting Sunnyside today, but despite having cover, the family expect to be left out of pocket. The cars were fairly high-end, so it is a lot of money and the insurance will only cover what we paid for the cars, but not the cost of getting them here, fuel and the work we've put into them as well as the loss of earnings because we weren't able to open yesterday, said Mr Mannion. Well, transport here is a lorry stuck for more than three hours after attempting to turn round in a residential street. The vehicle bearing the slogan is me com blocked Windermere Drive Warnden, Worcester on Tuesday evening to the dismay of people living in the street or trying to get past according to Jamie Sampson the lorry caused chaos and was straddling the road from 5.30pm until after 9pm West Mercy Police attended with Tetbury Drive in Warnden shut a section of the road while the lorry was released. Residents and drivers took to social media to share their dismay at the blockage. Haiti Davis, who was driving in the area, said, I had to turn around at the roundabout. It's quite worrying because of the houses there. There's no way some of them could get off their drives. Meanwhile, Kenny Veal, who lives near Windermere Drive, said, Yay, tried to pass through, but couldn't. I can't understand how the driver got into that position. And Lisa Wicket, who also lives nearby, said, I think the lorry driver is stupid to be trying to turn around. A police spokesman said, Police were called shortly before 5.50pm to reports of a lorry blocking Windermere Drive at the junction with Tetbury Drive. It appears the lorry became stuck while attempting to turn round in 
and that's it. Closures were put in place on Windermere Drive and Tetborough Drive until the road was cleared shortly before 9.10pm. XPO Logistics, which operates some transport operations for ISMI.com, were contacted for a comment about the incident. However, as the news went to press, last night it had not responded. As the Worcester News went to press last night, this is uh, <coughs> today's paper, there were reports of another lorry struck, no, stuck, in Park Street off Wilds Lane in Worcester. West Mercy Police said traffic was backing up badly and urged drivers to avoid the area. What is it with these lorries? <coughs> a fashion show to raise money for a mental health charity was a great success with more than £1,500 being raised in total. The event was organised by Rosemary Wilson in memory of Worcester teenager Felix Alexander, 17, who took his own life earlier this year after being bullied online. He attended the King's School in Worcester and Pershaw High School. The Worcestershire coroner recorded a verdict of suicide and Mr Alexander's family <coughs> urged friends to, to commemorate him by supporting the charity Place to Be, which provides emotional and therapeutic services in schools. Mrs Robinson said, I've got quite a large collection of 80s clothes and I decided to hold a fashion show to raise money for a good cause. My sister suggested Place to Be because she has a son who went to King's and new members of Felix's family. The show took place in Colwall Village Hall, Mill Lane, with compare Ben Cooper from BBC's Bargain Hunt and music from local band Rewind. Mrs Robinson said the show went really well. There were more than 100 people present. Ben Cooper did a great job as compare and the band was super. The total raise currently stands at £1,550 uh, and I am having a stall at the December flea market at the three counties and will be selling more of the clothes from the show. Hopefully we will be able to raise the total further. Last month, Felix's mother, Lucy Alexander, released an open letter calling on young people to do more to stop other young people's lives being lost. She revealed that her son took his life after online abuse from people he did not even know and it became too much for him to bear. Felix of Droitwich Road died after being hit by a train at Abbotswood Junction Norton just outside Worcester on April the 27th. The headline here is Rough Sleeper's Lair and there's pictures of rubbish and plant pots and clothes and all sorts left. Um, it says, This is the mess left by rough sleepers as a Worcester camp after it was cleared and three foreign nationals detained pending their removal from the UK. The photos supplied by West Mercia Police show the mess left at the camp under one of the railway arches near Worcester Arena in Hilton Road, Worcester. Uh, PC Broughton, three police community support officers and two immigration officers swooped on the camp from around 8am on Thursday.
Home Office spokesman said three people were arrested and served papers as EEA nationals, abusing treaty rights in the UK by rough sleeping. A Polish man and a Polish woman aged 28 and 46 and a Latvian man aged 47 are now in immigration detention pending removal from the UK. The images show makeshift tents, clothes hung over trees and a washing line, a traffic bollard with pans propped on top, a pot plant, a Father Christmas cuddly toy and boom bags full of rubbish. Chairs, a broom and coat hangers. It's like the generation game. Good game, good game. <laughs> the police said, We attended with immigration officers and foreign nationals were detained and will be transferred to a detention centre prior to removal from the country. The camp is now empty and we have contacted the landowner with a view to it being cleared up. A spokesman for Landowner Network Rail said, we will liaise with the British Transport Police on this matter and arrange a clean-up as soon as possible. EU citizens and their family members have the right to enter and live in other member states. These rights are set out in the Free Movement Directive, which all member states are bound by. Where admission is permitted, an EU citizen may remain in the UK for up to three months from the date of entry provided they do not become a burden on the social assistance system of the UK or abuse their rights. Those EU citizens wishing to stay beyond three months can only do so where they are exercising a treaty right. Exercising a treaty right in this context means they must be working, self-employed, self-sufficient or a student. A Home Office spokesman said, we consider rough sleeping an abuse of free movement rights, even where it takes place in the first three months of an EU national's residence in the UK. All EU national rough sleepers who are removed from the UK will be subject to a 12-month re-entry ban, requiring them to demonstrate an immediate intention to exercise treaty rights if they attempt to enter the UK within this period. We have previously reported how a Slovakian man who had been staying at the same camp was removed from the country on January, January the 26th, 2015. At one point, there were nine people living under the railway archway, including people from the Czech Republic, Lithuania, Poland and Slovakia. is our viaduct. Um... This story uh, actually go, harks back to the um, one of the headlines that we read out about the um, seventy-five pound fine uh, for dropping your litter but uh, dropping your cigarette butts. Um, so this is a follow-on story. Litter louts have come under fire in Worcester, with members of the public saying they want a hard-hitting crackdown to be extended. As the Worcester News revealed on Saturday. A sudden blitz on people dropping rubbish has resulted in 83 culprits being handed £75 on-the-spot fines. Most of the penalties dished out by one city council worker who patrols the city centre were for cigarette butts. Scores of people have contacted us to back the council's tactic, with many saying more officials should be assigned to the task. They say the city's environment would be greatly enhanced if more culprits were brought to the book. Karen Todd, 45, of Ransom Avenue in Batten Hall. I don't know what of age has got to do with it. 
said parts of the city are a tip it's a disgrace all the litter issues in Worcester are created by people I pity the vast majority who suffer because of the minority this is the best thing I can remember the council doing in ages all they need to do now is get more than one person doing it and they'll find loads more John Quint age 63 yet again age is just not worth it a bus driver of Bilford Road said cigarette ends are all over the place in the city centre I'd be ashamed to drop it myself I'd like to see these figures in a few months time I expect they'll be able to find hundreds of people quite easily several readers have also called for the level of fine to be increased while others say the money should be used to prop up services like play area equipment Rob Smith of Melbourne Street in Barbourne he didn't give his age, said, your readers of a certain age may recollect an elderly character known locally as Butt Annie. She would, as opposed to the anonymous enforcer, simply pick up discarded fag ends and then presumably recycle them, as she was rarely seen without a handmade cigarette dangling from her bottom lip. Bless her. But the question is, with this newfound enthusiasm to enforce the Environmental Protection Act 1990, will this officer venture to other parts of our city handing out additional fixed penalty orders? (laughs) He said, dumped gas cylinders, old settees and substances which are normally flushed down toilets can be found around various parts of the city. The council says as well as... Is he talking about Poundland? The council says as well as the fines, enforcement officers have investigated 33 abandoned vehicles and three cases of graffiti since mid-October. Councillor Jabba Riaz, the cabinet member who instigated the crackdown, well done Jabba, says he will keep an eye on it. Often the council adopts policies and doesn't follow it through. This one is different. She's about a heartless sneak thief. An elderly woman who had been left shaken after a a thief sneaked into her house and stole her handbag containing priceless photographs and mementos. The 82-year-old, who did not want to be named, was at home with her son in East Bank Drive, Worcester, when the prowler struck in the early hours of Thursday, November the 17th. It is believed she was the victim of a serial intruder who had broken into seven homes several homes in North Worcester. We reported last week how a hooded man was caught on CCTV trying the door handle of Claims resident Tom Knighton's home in Fairburn Avenue on three occasions, and the police have increased patrols in the area in response to the break-ins. Now the elderly woman's daughter, Joanna Smith, is appealing to the thief to return the sentimental pictures of her late father who died in May last year, as well as the key ring containing her children's handprints. The 43-year-old from Fernal Heath said, My mother has gone into shock. She hadn't locked the back door, and he'd opened the door and grabbed her handbag. She's 82. She keeps her life in her handbag. What's upsetting is inside was a key ring with my two children's handprints and the pictures of my deceased father, which are things you can't easily replace. My father was a local business owner and a magistrate, and he was a man of integrity, and I know he would not tolerate somebody scaring an 82-year-old woman like this. 
What these people don't realise when they commit these crimes is that it is like throwing a stone into water and making ripples, and the consequences are far-reaching. I'd like to appeal to the person, if you've dumped the bag, let us know where it is or return it to us. There are things in there that can't easily be replaced. As a result of the theft, Miss Smith is in the process of getting involved with the neighbourhood watch in her area. Bag also could send her keys, so she changed the locks at her house. I'm also offering a £50 reward to anyone who hands the police information which leads to the conviction of the person responsible, she said. Anyone with information should call the non-emergency police number 101, quoting reference number 630 s Okay. That's all we've got time for. Um, so this is this team's last one before Christmas. We're back with you in uh, January. Uh, so we'd all like to wish you a very happy Christmas. Yeah, happy Christmas. Christmas. And happy New Year. And happy New Year. Yeah.